you guys, thank you for starting the recordings. Here we go. I've been telling you that in Luke, this thing that we're doing with Empowered, right? We're in this series, Empowered, and I've been in it for over a year, and we'll be in it for at least another year. But this series, Empowered, and what this is, is, is how the Lord moves through us in the fullest possible ways. And I've been telling you that in Luke 1 through 8, that it was a sort of undergraduate degree time where people were seeing what Jesus was doing and hearing about it, right? So just like in an undergraduate program where you were, there's a, just a lot of learning that way. But then you get to graduate level, which starts at chapter 9, and we've started chapter 9 now. And then what happens is, is Jesus starts having them do things, which is the much higher learning curve. It's, you know, you've learned quite a lot of the foundation, and now you're actually out there doing it, and what difference is it making in your life, and how's that supposed to work out, and so on. And we just had an extraordinary example of how God is paralleling the growth of this church with that idea. Because last week, Canon White was here. And Canon White is one of these opportunities to do. A huge opportunity to do. So that's exactly what we're going to do today. We're going to take up the challenge that he uttered, that he ushered forth for us, and we're going to get into a do season here. Now, in order to just sort of bring everybody up to speed, how many people were at Cannon White last week? Okay. Or you heard it or you saw it. Wow, that's a really good number. Okay. Now, to bring everybody up to speed and really to sort of highlight something that I, that, that's important for today, I want you to think back. It, it was extraordinary in a whole lot of ways. And in some ways, almost, almost the most for me in that here's a guy whose own life is threatened continually. We had so much security here last week, you guys. We had people literally staying here 24-7 days before the time. We had all kinds of security because this guy is under threat all the time, right? And people are attacking people in other lands, as we see on the news and so on, right? And the bottom line is, is that you see a guy who's under threat and a guy who is having people that he loves, the people in his church, killed and slaughtered and fleeing and you can see this incredible pain and you would think that that should make him you know that, that Debbie Downer totally totally morose just you know burdened with it so much that he can't even function and yet what you saw last week was a guy who's two things at once filled with the joy of the Lord charmingly funny but not being superficial whatsoever about the seriousness of what's happening to illustrate that point, I want to tell you a story that he told last week and that some people didn't quite catch. He told the story of a guy who the ISIS came to him and said, if you don't say the prayer of conversion to Islam, from Christianity to Islam, if you don't say this thing and convert, we're going to kill your five children right in front of you. Remember that? And, 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 the, and the guy said, I prayed the prayer. And then, if you remember, he said to him, he used that term, and I can't remember what it was, but he used this really enduring term that was Papa. Will Jesus reject me because of what I did? Daddy. He's saying, Daddy, will Jesus reject me? Now, he then told another intervening story, which made it hard to understand, hard to connect the dots between that story and the one that came just a couple of minutes later after a short interlude. Because remember when he said... I got an email nine days before last Sunday. And, and some people thought, well, was it, was it his children he was talking about, his actual children? No, it was people in his parish. It was people in his church. 
it was people that he considers himself his children. And what he was saying was is that ISIS came to five of them and said, if you don't pray this prayer, we're going to kill you. And what they said is, is we love Jesus, kill us. And so they died. And you saw, and I wish I almost should show it, you saw when he said that, you saw him have this moment, you saw the depths. It's not that he's hiding the depths. You saw the depths of the grief that he had as a father for his children, that they were dying. Remember that? It was, it was just a moment, and then he moved on. Because that's what we have to do in the world. And if you trust God, if you know that they're in heaven, all that. But it doesn't make the moment of having your children be killed. It doesn't take away the pain of that. Yes, trusting God and yes, knowing the things that happen and all of that helps to contextualize or helps to keep it in frame so that you can stay not just morose. So that you can not just be crushed by the weight of the grief of what's happening. Now, with that kind of weight... When he was in the Q&A, and there was a couple of people that asked him, what could we do? And he talked about social media, and he talked about voting, and he talked about a few things. But at one point in time, if you'll remember, I asked him the question, and I said, but tell us what we can actually do. And his answer was incredibly profound in what we're going after today. What he said was, is he said, pray and give. Now, I just need to take a little sidebar with you to show you something about how we are, as Americans, about that statement, pray and give. How many of you have received a letter from somebody? I, did we miss an announcement today for a missions thing, or is that in November? Oh, no. How many of you have received a letter from a missionary who's going on a trip, and they're asking you to pray and give? How many of you received one of those in your lifetime? Oh, if you're a Christian, you've received them, Right? Now, I've written those letters and asked for support. And when I say pray, I really do mean pray. I really do mean please pray for me. But in America, we have this thing that we do, don't we? Where when we hear pray and give, what we really hear more is give. We Prayer dresses it up in spiritual terms so that we're not just saying give me money because nobody likes to hear that. So if we put prayer before it, it's okay to say give. Because we really, you see what I mean? And now that's cynical, okay? And I'm telling you, I've written these letters, and I really did mean pray. But let's be honest, let's be real, let's get real as Christians in America today and understand the degree to which other things are choking out the things that God would have us do. When someone asks you to pray, when Canon White says pray, I want you to hear what I heard when he said that. I did not hear this sort of missions letter cynical thing that we can all do. What I heard him say was pray and also give. Now the giving is important, right? The giving makes a huge difference. There's hundreds of thousands of people are fleeing for their lives with nothing. They're going to starve in the desert if they don't get help. So there's millions of dollars that are flooding into the Middle East to provide for these Christians, and it's still not enough. Okay? So the give is very important. I don't mean to undermine that. But what if? Now let's, let's get real, because we all know this in our hearts, but we don't actually know it in our lives, in the way that we actually live our lives. What if prayer was infinitely more important than giving? What if giving was extremely important? 
And no matter how important it was, you multiply it by a huge factor, and that's how actually important prayer is. What if that's true? What if when God is saying to us in the Old Testament, then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Now, for a second here, I'm almost going to strip out the, that we're sinners praying for God to heal us from our own sin that, and consequence that we brought upon ourselves. I want you to hear, that's in here, right? What he's saying is, is you're sinning, my judgment is just, but if you'll humble yourself and pray, if you'll ask God, if you'll ask me to forgive you, then what will I do? Then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive the sins, and I'll restore the land. But again, what I want to do for today, because what we're really talking about today is pray, intercessory prayer. What I want you to hear is, I want you to do is I kind of want to strip out that, that it's our sin, because what we're talking about is the Iraqis. And I don't think it's okay for us to sit over here and say, well, they were sinners, and so great, the judgment that they have is what they deserved. I think you can say that, and God says the way that you measure will be measured back to you. <laughs> and I think that we're next. So I think what we can do as a people, as a body, as connected to our brothers and our sisters over there, I think we can do a paraphrase, something like this for today that God is not unhappy with. If my people will care enough to truly bring this horrific thing before me, faithfully and continually, you know, in the way people do when they really do care about something. <laughs> Not just a cursory prayer and then move on with your life and maybe you remember it. But something that is happening with your brother, your sister. I mean your natural brother and sister. They have cancer. That never leaves you. You never forget that. Right? It's always in your heart. You don't let it dominate. But you also are lifting it up continually, as Paul says, continually praying for you, right? In your gut. So if you really do what the people do when they really care about something deeply, then God says, I will definitely respond, and I'll change what's happening. <laughs> That's what that says. And again, there's this, you know, we've stripped it out in a way, but, but let me just show you this. Again, we're going to have to strip out a little bit of the just bring it upon themselves. This is Ezekiel to the nation of Israel right before they disappear. And listen to what God says. I looked for someone who might rebuild the wall of righteousness that guards the land. In other words, the sin has opened the door for the judgment to come in. But we're stripping that away to a degree so that we can understand another principle that's happening here too, which is I searched for someone to stand in the gap in the wall so that I wouldn't have to destroy the land, the people, but I didn't find anybody. Does that sound like something you've heard before in the Old Testament? Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? If there was 100, would you still destroy it? No, I wouldn't. How about 50? How about 20? How about 10? How about 5? How about a handful of people? No, you know what? If there was a handful of people, I wouldn't do it. But guess what? There wasn't. There wasn't in Sodom and Gomorrah, and there wasn't here in Israel. I will, so I will, now I will pour out my fury on them, consuming them with the fire of my hand. There's nobody left. There's nobody left to stand in the gap. So I will heap on their heads the full penalty. I do not know what that is, but thank you guys. The full penalty for all their sins. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. Do you see what's being said? He's saying, I was looking for somebody that would do this. You're the salt of the earth. What does salt do? It does two things. It preserves and it flavors in a godly manner. 
That's what's being said, right? It preserves and it flavors the way that God would like it to taste, to feel. You're the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it's lost its flavor? If it's not preserving anything, and if it's not flavoring things in a God way anymore, then what's it good for? Can you make it salty again? No. The only thing it's good for is to be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Wow. Now, let me tell you, I think that's us. I don't say you. This is not a sermon where the pastor's pointing his pointy little bony finger. Okay? This is a sermon where I'm standing up in front of you and I'm saying I think I'm just like everybody here. And I think that we have a serious problem that we're unaware of because our lives are happy and comfortable. And I think it gets revealed as God is coming to us and he's saying, be on this journey of empowered with me. I want you to learn how to be everything that I told you to be. And I am now not just telling you about it. I'm actually giving you an opportunity to be it. To actually enter into it, which is what we're going to do today. And I just want to tell you, if we will step up, here's what God says in yet another place where he's telling us how this stuff works. The master said, do you hear what that judge did? This is a corrupt judge, and a woman is saying, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice, give me justice. And the corrupt judge doesn't want to give her justice. He's corrupt. But what he says is, because she's bothering me so much, I'm going to go ahead and give her justice. And God says, I'm not the corrupt judge. Verse 7, what makes you think that God won't step in and work justice for his chosen people? People are being slaughtered in Iraq. What makes you think that God wouldn't stop that in its tracks? What makes us not understand that God can stop it in its tracks and then own it so much that we pray for it until he does? <laughs> right? This is, a, this is a big sermon, okay? I, I, I'm not, for those of you who are visiting today, I'm not usually yelling a lot during sermons, okay? I can yell every once in a while. I'm good at that. But I don't yell a lot. But I got to yell in my heart. I got to cry in my heart. I got to stand on the wall as the watchman and warn us. Because I think that God is trying to do that. And so forgive me for being overly passionate. At the same time, please understand this passion is coming from a real place. Okay? This is in me. And my bones would burn if I didn't speak it the way that God has told me to speak it. And it's not to create judgment that makes you go, oh, we're so horrible. It's to all of us own the fact that there's something going on and that God himself can change it. Right? For real. Because what he says, you continue to cry out for help, won't he stick up for them? I assure you he will. God is saying, I assure you, if you cry out, I will. I will not drag my feet. How much of that kind of, but, and now this is the key for us, but how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on earth when he returns? Is he going to find people that know how to stand in the gap and that are doing it? Is he? Is he? Because I'm telling you right now, I think there's an excellent chance that we're going to do something else. And I'm going to show you what that is in two seconds. But this was a long intro because it's a short sermon that then we're going to go into another time. And so with this in mind, who's doing Oh, Hayden. Hayden, I don't know what's got a hold of you, man, but uh, this is awesome. Uh, God is just all over this young man and just doing incredible things in your life. I I'm telling you, it's just a joy to behold. 
Okay, what's happening in your life right now with God? So stand up, pray for the sermon, pray for another church. Get to know this guy. Okay, it's infectious what's happening in him from with God. So go ahead, Hayden. Uh, well, Lord, we thank you um, that we can gather here today. Uh, just pray for the sermon. Um, I pray that uh, you prepare our hearts for whatever word Kurt's about to bring. Um, and then I want to pray for uh, University Presbyterian Church. Amen. Uh, and I thank you for the you know, college ministry you're doing there. And I just, Amen. all the work they're doing in the community with uh, you know, high school and junior high. So pray that you bless their sermon today as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Hayden. All right, now, just I told you that I do want us to own, I want us to own not only what we do, but I want us to know that God is telling us that he knows this about us, okay? I can stand up here and I can say, you need to be a better intercessor. And then you try and be a better intercessor, but what happens when you do that? Because I'll tell you exactly what happened. God showed us what happens when we do that. Because here is this passage that we're in, and we're only hitting a little moment out of it today. We'll come back to it again next time. But about eight days after these words, what were those words? Jesus saying, I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to raise again, but I'm going to suffer and die. And the context, that's what happens right before this, and the context of this is clearly, as we looked at in threefolds two weeks ago, is that what God is doing is he's trying to bring the disciples around Christ to raise his hands, to, to intercede for him. I never knew what the context of this was, but it says it right in it. After eight days, he takes along Peter, John, and James up to the mountain to pray. Not just him pray, them pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his death. You see this? Who's his threefold? Moses and Elijah. Right? And they're helping him. He's in trouble. He's struggling with this, as he did in the garden. Right? But now look at this. They appeared in glory and were speaking. It was just what he was about to accomplish in Jerusalem. You can imagine the three, those three guys are sitting there going, this is amazing. This is so cool, right? That's what they're doing, right? Actually, here's what they're doing. Peter and those with him were in a deep sleep. <laughs> he said, come and pray with me. I'm in trouble. Come and pray with me. And what did they do? They prayed a little while, and then they, you know, they closed their eyes. And I don't know about you, but if I close my eyes and pray, it's about a minute. <laughs> right? I don't fall asleep in a minute, but, you know, I'm not praying anymore. I got, I got things flying into my imagination from every which way, right? You do realize that this is exactly what happens in the garden when he takes the same three people. Let's read it carefully. Jesus comes with them to a place called Gethsemane. This is the night before he's to die. Now watch this. And he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And I've always thought of this as the three that were sitting over here while Jesus went over there. But that's not what it says. Taking along Peter and the two sons, James and John, he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed, and he said to the three people, <laughs> do you see it? He says it to them. My soul is swallowed up in sorrow. They do not know that he's going to be crucified tomorrow. Not because, by the way, he hasn't told them. They just didn't know it was true, and it was now. Not because God hasn't told us that the end is coming. We just don't think it's tomorrow. 
He said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here. And listen to what he says. Stay awake with me. Pray with me. Help me. Do you see it? And then, going a little further, he falls face down and prays, My Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. See, Jesus is struggling with this. If there's any other way than what I'm about to suffer, not the crucifixion. The crucifixion was bad, and I'm sure he was not looking forward to it. But the thing he was not looking forward to was the separation that he would undergo at that moment on the cross when he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what he's saying right here is, is, is he, he, he comes to this place, he's trying to get through it. He is wanting, he has already given those three guys a time with him in prayer where they fell asleep, and you would think that maybe they would say, we fell asleep the last time, let's not do it this time. But he comes to the disciples and he finds them sleeping. Now look at who he talks to, Peter. Not the three of them. He said to Peter, so you couldn't stay awake with me one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. What's the temptation? What's the one, that, what's the one that's already been prophesied he's going to do? He's going to deny him three times. And he was like, no, that'll never happen. <laughs> but what, has, what happens? Now you say, well, God knew it was going to happen, and so it happened, and so it's absolutely going to happen. No, here's what's actually being said right now. Peter, stay awake and pray, and when you have the opportunity to deny me, if you stay awake and pray, you will not deny me. You see what he's saying? He's giving, he's saying, look, God knows everything that's going to happen. Do we all get that? God knows everything that's going to happen. But we have free will. Real free will. And we really can make a choice that will change even what he's prophesied is going to happen. If you don't want to go with me there because you're a good reformed Calvinist and you would never go such a place, hang in there with me for a second. I'm going to show you something. But for right now, I just want you to see something. Jesus is clearly telling Peter, if you'll stay awake and pray, the very thing I prophesied about you, you will not fall to. And the pain, do you remember the pain when Jesus sees him again? Peter, who thought he was the most special disciple of all, couldn't even look at him. Didn't even want to be with him. Because he had denied him those three times. Can you imagine the pain that was in Peter's heart about this? The revelation of who he really was? Well, I think God is trying to give us a revelation of who we really are. Here's who we are. God has clearly told every person in here to be an intercessor. God has clearly laid it on the heart of people to pray for the Iraqi Christians, to pray for America, to pray for all kinds of things. Chris Ward is, is in India right now. He sends back an email. For those of you who are getting it, if you're not, email me. I'll put you on the email list. But Chris Ward, one of our missionaries, and, and they, you know, they land, and within a couple of days, they have a couple of meetings, and they land. After they land, and sure enough, the authorities show up. And all of a sudden, they're basically being threatened with being arrested. And so he prays an urgent prayer. Do we pray for that when we hear these things? And how do we pray for it? Do we stay with it? I'm going to show you a way to stay with it in a moment here. But do you catch what I'm, do will you catch what I'm doing? I'm trying to say that God is giving us opportunities to be someone who will change the course of even what God knows is going to happen. The opportunity, the real opportunity is there. It's not fake. Good Reformed theology says, well, there's the appearance of an opportunity, but God knows and so. 
But I want to tell you, I'm fully reformed. I'm completely reformed. I just don't believe that's all there is. I believe that there's actual, genuine free will, and we need to mesh the two of those together in a way that fits difficultly so that we live in the tension of the fact that God is totally in control, but that there's also something that we're supposed to be doing for real. And it isn't... Look, God prophesied that he would go through pain and then he gave him an opportunity not to go through it. I'm telling you, I think God is coming to us and through what's happening with the Iraqi Christians and he's saying, I'm giving you an opportunity to not go through that pain. Will we fall asleep? Do you see it? Is this powerful? Is this important? Is it hitting your heart? Is God speaking to your heart? Not condemningly. He doesn't do that. There is no condemnation. But there is humanity, and God knows about it. And lovingly and graciously, he's coming to us and telling us, know your own humanity, that you might have an actual chance of overcoming it in me. And again, we're going to get to that place, but let's just go a little bit further here. I want you to see, if we want to know what intercession is, we want to look at the first person to ever intercede. It's not actually true because Abraham did, but this is the first, the first powerful intercession. Right at the very beginning of the Bible, God showed us what intercession is really about. What's happening here is that Moses, don't read that here. Let me just, so that people don't get ahead of me. Moses is, has delivered, God has delivered the people from Egypt with those ten plagues, remember? Okay, ten plagues. And remember the nature of those ten plagues. There were times that the whole of Egypt was experiencing a plague, like say darkness, or some other horrible thing. And the nation of Go or the land of Goshen where the Israelites were was not. They were in light. Everybody else was in darkness. They were in light. I mean, wow, you should learn something. And then, like this army's coming to get you, and you get to walk through a sea on dry ground. And then that army gets swallowed up in that sea. That's like kind of big. And then you're like, no water, so God takes bitter water and makes it sweet. And then you're like, no food, and so God starts bringing manna from heaven for you to eat every day. And then you're like, we're bored of manna, we need some meat, and so God sends quail. I mean, how much has God done? How much has he revealed himself? But what we see at the Mount of Sinai is, is at some point God comes to Moses, the whole people, and he says, I want Moses to come up here because I'm going to tell him something. And then God comes down on Mount Sinai in lightning and thunder and fire and smoke and so on. It's a terrifying thing, so terrible that people can't even hardly look at it. And then Moses walks up into it. Now, the people of Israel have been through, how long did it take for the ten plagues to play out? I don't know. Nobody's, I, I'm sure people have calculated roughly, but it was a long time. The people of Israel have been going through a journey with God that, we, that might be as much as a year at that point in time. At the very least, it's months before they get to Sinai. They have been walking with God, and now Moses is gone for 40 days. How, long, how far away is Thanksgiving right now? About 30 days? It's right about now, what is to say, 26, something like that, yeah, 26, 27, something like that. Right, Thanksgiving. So it's Thanksgiving plus 10 days. That's all the f longer he was gone. Does it seem like Thanksgiving is a long ways off to you? Because it doesn't to me. It seems like it's here right now. But here's the point. Moses has gone for 40 days, and the people who have been going months with this God say, well, we don't know where Moses went, so we need to make a God for ourselves 
and worship him as the one that led us and did all this stuff for us. And so Aaron, yeah, whatever, Aaron collects the gold and makes a golden calf. And God, speaking to Moses up on the mountain, says, I've seen this people and they're stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger can burn against them and I can destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. Now we're going to look at three quick things. Number one, we're going to look at humility. Number two, we're going to look at chutzpah. If you don't know what chutzpah is, chutzpah is a guy who would, throw him, who would kill his mother and father and then throw himself on the mercy of the court as an orphan. That's a joke. Really? You don't get the joke? Chutzpah is the guy who, who, come, who goes and gets the book in the bookstore, and he walks up to the bookstore, and he says, I want to buy this book on chutzpah, but I want you to pay for it. That's chutzpah, okay? So we're going to look at humility. We're going to look at chutzpah, whatever. Not a, not a lot of laughing crowd today, right? I've been pretty intense, so I understand, all right? And the third one that we're going to look at is what real intercession, what real intercession is, what it looks like. So the first one is humility, and I want to say this right here. Then I'll make you into a great nation. If God said to you, I'm going to make you into a great nation, wouldn't you just for, at least for a second say, is that a good idea? At least think about it. Wouldn't you take a minute? It's kind of like basketball, right? In basketball, right, the guy makes the fake, and if you, if you bite on the fake, then you're just, you're a toast, right? They just leave you, you, could, you know, right? He's by you. So if Moses had even taken a second to think about this, but God said about Moses, God himself said about Moses, he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. So when Moses hears that I'm going to make a great nation out of you, what's going through his mind is, I'm just like them. He literally will say that later to God. I'm just like them. So making a great nation to me is just getting more of them. That's how humble he is. It's a really important point, right? It's, it's, it's the humility. But, but I, I do want to go to chutzpah right now because what he does is, is that God said get out of the way. Not only does he not get out of the way, but he's just about to argue with God. Can I just say that takes a little chutzpah. If God comes to you and says get out of the way, what are you going to do? Particularly if God's mad, right? If God's mad and he says get out of the way, what are you going to do? <laughs> right? Oh, <laughs> Don't get burned. <laughs> Don't get singed. Right? His holy anger. But what Moses does is he stands right in front of him. He stands between him and the people. That's Hutzpah. And the third thing that we want to look at is what genuine righteousness is, because you do understand that when Moses stands in front of an angry God, what's the chances of him not getting crispied right then? This is at the cost of his own life that he stands before God. This isn't an abstract, oh, I really like them, please don't hurt them. This is him saying, as he will say later to God, the second time when he goes up the mountain, and God is saying this about destruction and talking to him. And what Moses says is, is, I'm just like them. And if you're going to destroy them, start with me. Now watch. This is so cool. God is completely and utterly righteous. What does that mean? Everything he does is completely and utterly right by everybody. Now watch. He has just judged the Egyptian people who will refuse to
to repent and stick with it. They do repent. The Pharaoh repents over and over, right? But then he loses his repentance and he goes back to where he was and makes it even worse. God has just judged the nation of Egypt and it is unright for him not to judge the Israelites for their hard hearts. You do remember that even Moses, by the time that God says, get out of my way, even Moses has said, this is a bad people, God. Why did you give them to me? They don't obey anything. Do you remember? So even Moses gets why God's frustrated. So understand, if God judged the Egyptians, he should judge the Israelites. Why doesn't he? Why are there Israelites to follow through in the rest of the Bible? There's only one reason. Because a man stood in front of God and did a righteous thing. He said, if you're going to take them, take me. And it would have been unright for God to take Moses. The man stood in front of angry God and manifested God's love for those same people that he was angry at. Now, watch this. First of all, but let's let that sink in for just one second. What is real intercession? Putting your own rear end on the line. You're in the game. You're not just in the game, you're in. And it's real to you too. So it's you. You want to know how to get an intercessory spirit? Start understanding it's you. And that you're putting yourself in between that which is right to happen and that which God actually wants to do. Now watch this. I'm going to make you a great nation. Now here's how Moses intercedes. He intercedes for the Lord. Lord, now look what he says to him. Can, can I just tell you, I don't think I've ever spoken to the Lord like this. I think I've spoken close a few times, but not to this degree at all. And I think that that's wrong of me. Now I don't ever, you should never speak petulantly to the Lord. Right? But look what he says. Lord, why does your anger burn against your people you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a strong hand? Look what he says. Why should the Egyptians be able to say he brought them out with an evil intent to kill them in the mountains and wipe them off the face of the earth? That is not what you meant to do. But that's what people are going to say if you do this. It's not going to be God loved the people, brought them out, and kept them. It's going to be God is after you, and you're going to be crispy at some point. Turn from your great anger and relent concerning the disaster planned for your people. Now watch what he does. This is, I mean, he would have made a great attorney. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You swore to them by yourself and declared, I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and will give your offspring all this land that I have promised and they will inherit it forever. Notice what he's saying. You promised to make them a great nation in this land that you were going to give to them. And if you kill them, you cannot fulfill your own prophecy, your own desire, your own heart. Do you see it? Which, by the way, is cluing us into something. The reason why Moses could speak this is because he knew what God's heart was. Now, he saw what God's anger was. Because his anger right then was judge. <laughs> right? Stiff-necked people. I'm going to do to them what I did to the Egyptians. It's only fair. 
But what Moses does is he comes back and he says, you've made promises and they cannot be fulfilled unless something else happens here. And Moses makes himself that thing that it is right for God not to judge them, the thing that intercedes. But the thing that I want you to see is, is that what we've done, now watch this. So the Lord relented concerning the disaster he said he would bring on his people. Now, I'm going to do hermeneutics with you. Hermeneutics is interpretation of Scripture. And I'm going to theologically add information to this Scripture so that I can explain it the way I think it needs to be explained. And I think that these are good hermeneutics. I think I'm telling the truth. What I'm saying is, I believe that the Lord raised Moses up. Adam, come up here. I believe that Moses, God raised Moses up for this very moment. I believe that God had this problem. Just down here for one second, okay? I believe that Moses had, actually, stand over there. I don't know where to put you. Okay? I believe that I'm gonna, you're going to be Israel for a second, so don't take it personal. Okay? But own it. I believe that God looked at his people and he said, I know what they're going to do. And I know that what they're going to do is going to be just as bad as what the Egyptians did, and it's going to cause me to need to kill them. And I believe that God raised up a man, Moses, from the people. I should have had you down there. But from the people, come right here. Stand right here and turn around facing me. Okay? And I believe what God did was he raised up a man to stand between himself and those people. I believe that God did this with the most humble man in the world because he knew that everybody else would blink and his judgment would come on those people that he had said, I don't want to destroy. You see it? Now, why didn't he do that with the Egyptians? He did. The guy's name was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh could have interceded for the people. But he didn't. But Moses does. You see it? And I believe that this is what God is doing right here when he says he relents. Now, thank you, Moses. <laughs> so that's good hermeneutics. I think we understand that God in his love has raised up a person to intercede and make it right for him not to judge a people and wipe them out. But, can I do something for a second? Can I strip away the hermeneutics I just did and have you read it in plain English? Because what does it say in plain English? Or plain Hebrew? God relented. What does that mean? He had in his mind to do one thing, and he changed his mind and did something else. The Calvinists in the room groan. Those of us in the room that believe that God is utterly in control and he's given real free will understand something incredibly important and profound. God needs you and me to step up so that he can do what he really wants to do. He needs us to know his heart and his mind. He needs us to know that his promises are real and true and that he will never leave you nor forsake you. And greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And no weapon formed against us will prosper in all the other promises that he has given us. And he needs us to hold those promises dear. And when God is doing something which is absolutely right for him to do, we need to be the ones who are standing there on behalf of our people if we will humble ourselves and pray, if we will humble ourselves and put ourselves in this position, if we will do this, then God will relent, yes, but that was his intent. But let me just ask you the question. If Moses had not interceded, what would have happened? 
Israel would have been done right then. See it? You guys, we have a role. <laughs> it's not just a role. We have a responsibility. It's not just a responsibility. We're salt. And if you've lost your saltiness, what good are you? Because God put the salt in here to preserve the world. We're supposed to be preserving the world. This is why intercession is not something to be falling asleep about. This is why intercession, we can say, oh, well, God's got it all in control, and so it's going to work out, and he loves me, and it's going to work out for me. Do remember, at the end, before the Christians are taken out, what it says is that every human being on the face of the earth is crying out that the mountains should fall on them to protect them from the wrath that is being poured out by God. That's Christians too. It's later that Christians are gone. This stuff is... It simply could not be more important. And we have to understand that the thing that he has asked us to do is critical. Will he still get his way done if we don't do it? Yes. Did Peter get restored? Yes. <laughs> okay? But do we get it? Are we owning this? Because here's what I want to do right now. I want to just end this shorter sermon with this. It may not feel like a shorter sermon to you, but to me, for my normal timing, it is. I want us to own something important. How do I live as an intercessor? Not just how do I go into my closet and pray for two hours and now I'm late for work and I'm behind on my whole day and oh my gosh, how can I do that? And it was really hard for me to keep focused on what it was anyway and I don't feel like I really interceded. How do I, how do I actually become a person who is not just having to go into their closet and pray for an hour, but as a person who is, as Paul said, praying continually, that is owning, that is intercession? Not that it just intercedes, but that is the very express manifestation of intercession on a continual, ongoing, faithful basis. How do we become that? And I want to tell you, it's, God has given this church and all Christians, but this church in particular, he's given us two wonderful examples. One of them is Jesus and one of them is Canon White. We're going to look at Jesus because he's the better one. But then we're going to look at Canon White. This is about healing, what I'm about to show you. But I want you to understand that it's the same spirit that has to do with owning the burden of the world. Not, not to a place where it crushes you, but truly letting yourself become the express manifestation of intercession. Here's what Jesus does. He sees two blind men, and deeply moved, he touched their eyes. He sees a leper and moved with compassion. He reached out his hand and touched him. He sees a mother with a dead son, and when he saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, and he walked over the coffin and touched it. Deeply moved, moved with compassion, heart overflowed with compassion. How many times have I preached in this room about splonizomai? This Greek word that underlies this word that gets translated a whole lot of different ways because there's almost hardly not an English word that really does it. What it means is the closest, actually the closest translation is his gut, with gut-wrenching, he acted. In other words, it wasn't that he just went, oh, you're sick, isn't that too bad? Here, I'm going to touch you and you're going to be healed. What he saw was as he saw a blind person and a leper. 
You're not supposed to touch lepers. He saw a blind person, a leper, and a mother who had just lost her son. And what he did was, watch this, he let his mirror neurons kick in. God has made us with mirror neurons. What are mirror neurons? When you do something and I see you doing something, I experience what you're doing as if I was doing it. It was discovered with the ape, right? When the ape was eating bananas and they were testing the brain waves. And then the, 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 the researcher, when they were at a break, the researcher went, hey, I'm going to eat one of these bananas because I'm hungry. And when he ate the banana, the monkey's brain waves went off exactly like as if he was eating the banana. And so we started looking at human beings, and what we discovered was we have this thing, this God has built animals, by the way, soulish animals, that have a capacity to have this empathy. You think your dog cares? He, it turns out he does. <laughs> right? Do you think your dog's sad with you? He is. How much more so are human beings supposed to be owning the pain that other people are going through? Because what God says is, is if one part of the body hurts, every other part's involved in the hurt. Watch this. He's talking about the body as, as in the physical body, and he's using an illustration, Paul is. And, and what he says is, if, if, I, if I cut my foot, do you, does your body do this? Ah, it's just a foot. I don't need that. I don't care. You see the analogy? What he's saying is, is when your foot gets cut, you, your whole body's involved in this. This is a bummer. What do I do about this? You try and fix it. The whole body goes to bandaging and taking care of and maybe getting a crutch and doing whatever you've got to do in order to take care of the foot because it's part of you. And here's what I want to make the argument that God has done in mankind. He has given us this extraordinary capacity for what we call empathy. And empathy means feeling what the other person is feeling. He's given us this extraordinary capacity to see somebody in need. I just looked at somebody in need, and I want to cry because of what's happening in their life, because it just seems, ugh. Right? That's empathy. That's mirror neurons. That's love. Splunk needs my is love. Love. When your child is going through something, there is no parent except the worst possible one that would not gladly say, put that on me so that they can be free. Right? Every parent does this. And God has given us this extraordinary capacity to be this. And so we're going to be and do this right now as a church. We're going to intercede. I am, I am through with standing up here and talking in a way that I think does affect a lot of people and makes a difference in their lives and so on. And then we don't actually do anything about it. And so by the time you get done with lunch, it was a great message and you can kind of remember that it meant something to you. I believe that when we are, I believe that we're supposed to go from college level, which is see and learn, we're supposed to go to master's level where we actually do. So we're going to pray right now and we're going to intercede right now. And as we intercede, I know that there's some people that are thinking, oh my God, I can't do that. Can you feel? Can you love? Can you let what's happening in Iraq hurt you? Hurt you. Hurt you. And can from that place you speak to the Lord? Because that's what intercession is. Can you lift them up before him? 
We're going to do Iraqi Christian. We're not going to do all these. I can tell you, we're not going to get through them. We're just not. But I just want to give you a sense of what I want to do is I want to model what it feels like to intercede, intercessory prayer. And I'm going to do that by us interceding in things, right? And the way that we're going to do that, by the way, is we're just going to do popcorn prayer. We don't, we're not going to worry about microphones. I'm just going to, when you have it on your heart, we're going to be on Iraqi Christians first. By the way, let me say, please don't put in a prayer for your grandfather at this point. We're praying about Iraqi Christians. We're interceding for what's happening there. At the very bottom here, you can pray for somebody that you know that's in need if we get there. Okay? So please stay on topic, and I'll move us from Iraqi Christians to Middle East to the United States. And what I want you to do is just pop up, and I want you to pray. And I don't want a lot of dead space. Please. Just determine in your hearts that if there's dead space and you're feeling awkward about it, that's because you're supposed to be saying something. Introverts, I'll pay you $10. Because I'm telling you, your prayers are deeper. And if you really want the $10 after you get done praying, come talk to me. Seriously. We can love. We were built to love. We were built to hurt. Now, by the way, Canon White shows us you don't have to be Debbie Downer. You don't have to walk around all the time like a little cloud over you going, oh my God, things are so horrible in the world. Right? He was charming and funny, but real and deep. And there is a way of walking in both things at the same time. It's the fullness of what God has called us to. In the joy of the Lord, he knows that even though those sons and daughters of his were killed, that they are with God now. And so he grieves that he does not see them, but he knows where they are with, and he knows who's in control here. And if it's his own life or anybody else's, it's okay. That's why he lives in joy, because God has it, because he is sovereign, and things aren't going to get beyond his ability to do whatever he wants. You see it? But at the same time, I want us to own, for this moment, I want us to own the seriousness of this. And so as I say, what we're going to do, I apologize. I'm going to ask you guys with the mics to kind of go down the middle aisles and just keep them on. And I don't know if you can do this or not, but, but try and catch as much of the vocal as you can for people that are streaming and watching it, okay? Uh, and that's quite a few people today, it looks like. But bottom line is, is what I want you to do is, I just want you to, I, do you get what I'm doing? Can I say one last thing? When we're praying, would you do me a favor? There's people in here that could start praying, and 20 minutes later, you'd just be sort of scratching the itch. Can I say you'll lose us if you do that? By the way, if you have your eyes closed and you find yourself drifting off, open them up. It's real easy to wake up. Open your eyes. Okay? You don't have to pray with your eyes closed. It doesn't say that in the Bible anywhere. Okay? Right? So if you want to keep your eyes closed, go ahead. If you want to open them up, open them up. I don't care. But what I do want you to do is to own what's happening right now. To own it in your own soul. And if somebody prays, pray in agreement with them about what they're praying for. And keep them short. I'm talking 15, 20 seconds. Sort of just do one idea. And if another idea comes to you, I love you, maybe do two. But don't do three. You see what I'm saying? Don't just let one thing go into another and lose everybody else in the wake. Where we all disconnect. We want to be connected together in what we call popcorn prayer. Now, obviously, when you're interceding yourself at home, learning how, how to ridden this bike, feel free to pray as long as you want to pray on a thing. And by the way, let me say heartily, praying in the Spirit is a great way to continue the momentum. Because as it says, there are things that are too deep for words. 
And when we let them affect us, when we let the Holy Spirit come into us and affect us the way that he would do it, when, he, when it comes in and it affects us the way that he would do this, it's us. It's the whole of us. Right? So we pray in the Holy Spirit and we let him... All of a sudden, and then we ask him for interpretation. All of a sudden, oh my gosh, okay, I'm getting it. This is what he's praying for. Now we pray in English, and then we pray in the Spirit, and then we pray in English, and then we pray in the Spirit. That's a great way to intercede. For today, I'm asking on behalf of guests and so on, pray in English. If you're going to pray in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, and then go ahead. And if somebody really does have a, a tongue and an interpretation, that's great. But if there's no interpretation, it wasn't the tongue, right? Okay, we do interpretation here with it if we're going to do it. But pretty much what I'm asking you to do is pray in the Spirit. When you have something to say in English, call it out. And if two people start talking, just do what we normally do. Just be nice. Figure it out. Okay? Do we get what we're doing here? We're going to take, I, I don't know how long we're going to go. We're going to go just as long as what the Lord has us go. So I'm not, that's not actually true because if that was true, we'd be here until about 5. We're not going to be here that long. We're going to do this for 10, 12, 15 minutes. But if we do this well, it'll seem like two. If you participate, if you're in, it will move. I'll move us from Iraqi to Middle East to the United States, and we'll get as far as we're going to get, and then I'll call it. Okay? Got it? Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we're asking you that you would teach us how to intercede right now. You've taught us something about how to own it, about how to become love, about how to become your love, your heart, your mind, how to become those things in a way that really does let itself be expressed in that splunk nizomai, in that gut-wrenching, in that owning it, in that being way. So you've taught us, Lord, and now what we want to do is put it into practice. So right now, Lord, as a congregation, as a family, in a protected, safe place, but in a way as between you and us, we're asking you now, Holy Spirit, come and quicken people to pray. Introverts, extroverts, people that talk a lot, people that never talk, cause people to cry out. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we were asked last week to pray and give. We did give, and now we pray. And so in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, take this time and make it rich with your spirit. Empower us. We're entering into the master's class in Jesus' holy and precious name. So now, Lord, we, re we lift up these people that, are, that have the families that have lost loved ones and the families that are right now fleeing for their lives. We ask you, God, to bring your hedge of protection around them to bring your comfort, but bring your hedge of protection